Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror, and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Now, when people hear this, you're, are you going to actually be in Luxembourg? Or are you back? Uh, I will be in uh, Luxembourg. In the Lux, the Grand Lux. Mm-hmm. They say on I the street there, the Lux Lux. Are you from the Lux Lux? The Lux Lux. <laughs> yeah, it's like Luxembourg City, Luxembourg Lubu. County, Luxembourg Country. <laughs> Lubu. Lubu. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to Lubu for the film ha- fest. Ha- hashtag Lubu. <laughs> hashtag Lubu. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be a see, thing. See Somebody make that a thing. See if J-La and... Uh, J-Lo and ScarJo. ScarJo. Uh-huh. And... Uh, <laughs> Ah, uh, Joe Jolie, eighty six. <laughs> that is so funny. so funny. How you doing, my friend? My friend, friend. Uh, good. It's cold over here in Luxembourg. Is it? Are you shivering your timbers? <laughs> I we 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 I am. <laughs> uh, it's uh, very good to hear you. Uh, are you? Uh, I imagine you probably uh, haven't uh, haven't been able to do much with yourself besides be a famous producer at the film festival in Luxembourg. That's you probably don't have any, any great stories yet. I don't have any great stories. Uh, actually, I do. I'm just not going to tell you until next week. <laughs> Excellent. I very much look forward to that. Uh, I also don't have any great stories, although I'll tell you what I just added to my queue today on very high recommendation. Have you seen Predestination? No, but we talked about that trailer a while back. And yeah, it's we one did. That I, it's, it, I uh, look, think looks fascinating. It really does, and I got it just today, and I am uh, I'm putting it on after the show. That's going to be my okay. thing now. That's, I'm going to watch it right now. I mean, not right now, in just in moments. So I'm very excited to talk about it. it is, I have heard Hold on, I'm such watching. I'm watching. <laughs> it's okay, right credits. It's credits right now. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm very excited to see it. it. Comes very highly recommended from people I trust. That this is a film that's that does uh, some really interesting things to time travel. So I want to talk about that next week. You should. Uh, you should probably watch it too in in Lubu. I, I'm going to. Okay. I'm watching it right now All in right. Lubu. If you don't really have any, I mean, seriously, if you don't have anything else to say, nothing that I imagine would rival uh, Alpaca Gate, Llama Gate. <laughs> Is that still a thing? Week, it's going to be as like, Andy, it's... Andy, for crying out loud, you should know a thing is only a thing if you commit. Oh, right, right. Let's talk about it <laughs> for the next full year, every, every episode. You have to commit, sir. You have to commit. Uh, hashtag Llama Gate. Hashtag Llama Gate. Um, hashtag I commit. <laughs> I commit to llamas. Let's, uh, (laughs) screw it. Let's tell people where we're from. Where are we from? This is The Next Reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that over there is Andy Lubu Nelson. (laughs) Nothing? You don't even, you can't say hello in French? 
Bonjour. There you go. We spoil movies. Tonight in the show, the third in our mystery series with Curtis Hansen and Brian Helgeland's 1997 neo-noir L.A. Confidential. Before it's about get, time we talk right? about this. It's about yeah. damn time. Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you think you've got what it takes to play in the big reels, head over to Instagram.com slash The Next Reel and play The Next Reel's Instagram. Hashtag Pony Prize. Hashtag, oh no, oh no, I don't know movies. They're not French. Hashtag Guess the Movie Challenge. Hey, you know what? we got to do our Instagram different this week. Why do we do that? Why, why are we doing that? Because... I'm in the future, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who won yet. Oh, so this is gonna. I'm gonna have to cut in. You're gonna have to. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you got to do some of your little editing magic. Make Andy, sure this uh, is so exciting to me. I know. I know you love editing shows. Let me tell you why I'm so excited. First of all, because you know you had said this is St- Stephen was gonna be. He was gonna go on a trip, a work trip to Poland or Prague or something, and mm-hmm. he wasn't gonna be able to do it. And you were gonna be out of town, and I was going to have to actually take the wheel, uh, and and actually do some of the posts next week. Thank I know. God, I don't have to do that. That would <laughs> I am talk about driving with the brakes on. I'm not ready for that game. But, I know, we were kind of throwing you out there. Oh, huh? man, that was too much. But this, being able to do a cut-in with future Pete mm-hmm. in order to help future Andy live in the past, I can do that. Let's do it right now. It's all about time travel, baby. It's Pete reporting from Future Past. Uh, I'm here to tell you congratulations goes to Kendra Midmod83 for crushing it uh, on image number four. From James Ponsoldt's 2013 The Spectacular Now, this was an image of a water fountain in a high school that gave it away. Uh, film stars Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley, you should go see Whiplash before you see this film. It's fantastic. If you want to see that Miles Teller, man, that's a guy to watch. Anyhow, congratulations, Kendra Midmod83. You are entered to win this year's Instagram hashtag pony prize hashtag guess the movie challenge. Andy, it's time. Uh-huh. Let's do trailers. I, I doubt I'll see this movie, but I'm actually really excited about the trailer because uh, it looks so awful, but it uh, it just, I don't know, it's so fitting for me right now. It's called Pound of Flesh, and it's the new Jean-Claude Van Damme film, and... Uh, <laughs> Yes, the uh, uh, muscles from Brussels. You are gonna do this as your trailer. I am totally like doing this, this as my trailer. <laughs> this is, I'm totally. Doing I didn't this. know that you were gonna do this because I thought that it was inappropriate to do uh, autobiographical films <laughs> as your trailer. I thought that was a rule. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, this is based on my this, true this story. is how it this what's is how it, it went down. Yeah, this is how <laughs> this really it is how it. And I'm surprised that they picked Van Damme to play me. I'm not. I am older, not at but, all. <laughs> but does kick butt just like I do. So it actually it fits fits quite well. But no, this is so. Apparently, the story goes Van Dam is uh, intending to donate his kidney to his niece who needs a transplant, or she's going to die. And but what happens? He wakes up in a bathtub, and somebody has stolen his kidney. And so now he has to pursue, it looks like the Chinese mafia or something, with his brother, who is uh, clearly not in the loop on uh, exactly how much butt his uh, Van Damme can actually kick. And now they have to go on a chase to try to track down his kidney so he can get it back to his niece. <laughs> 
These things happen in this part of the world. Perhaps it is best if you just let it go. And someone won't get back. Are you expecting someone to dive into the waters of verisimilitude too, too deep too deeply here but I, I do feel like it's appropriate for me to ask um it, judging by the trailer he is up and actually performing the kicking of butts uh within hours of waking up in the in the uh, bathtub of ice yeah exactly and and so would you agree that that is an appropriate physical way to kind of test your physical recovery after a kidney donation well you're certainly putting your body to the test by doing that I is that something know. that you did i don't did know you just say somebody i just to go to your wife and say please honey just kick me real hard in the side and just see if i can take it if i'm ready to take, <laughs> take right. on the mob and then let me uh, let me chase down a car and and kick yeah. through the wind while it's driving away that was good that was that was pretty brilliant. Yeah, I, you know, maybe it's because they went through his back and not through his front. Oh, right. No, maybe that's you know, it. Maybe yeah. that is allowing him a little more flexibility to actually uh, perform some of the amazing feats that he does. I, it, it is. It is a, a trailer full of amazing feats, but the the one that is most amazing is just waking up in a bathtub full of ice. I thought that was. I, I would. I would not want to even do that. But, <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Oh, when just, when are you going to be seeing this film? Uh, it's you know right now it's just listed as uh, well no it's listed as DVD it looks like it's going it might be a straight to DVD premiere May Real, 20, really fifteen <laughs> <laughs> are you wait are you serious straight to DVD <laughs> oh no, sacre no bleu memorial, no, no Memorial Day uh, premiere for this one. <laughs> Yes, opening weekend, January seventh. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, uh, you know, it'll. I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Just because you did the trailer, I'm probably going to see it. I actually want to, just because the whole notion is so preposterous of yeah. everything that he's doing over the course of the story. In, in, you know, while he's trying to save his kidney. So good. That's rich. It's it rich uh, comedy. Absolutely nuts. Uh, my trailer is, yes. is uh, I don't know, I want to say it's the exact opposite of yours, but I'm not sure that it is. Uh, <laughs> the powers that be are plumbing the depths of British literary history once again, <laughs> setting a not-quite-so-classic romantic tragedy in uh, modern-day uh, Los Angeles, Thugville. My trailer this week is Anarchy, based on the Shakespeare play of the same name, but instead of letting us actually enjoy a tale of Imogene and her love with Leonatus and her father the king's bitter disdain of their secret marriage, we get a gang of biker thugs and dirty cops and a drug lord and lots of lots of Shakespearean English in American English accents. And it's weird. Again, I, I don't get it. Let there be no honor, truth, love. Where there's another man. 
Plug line for this thing is a mashup of Sons of Anarchy with Game of Thrones. I am. I, it's probably apt. I'm not sure if it actually makes me any more excited to see this film. Stunningly, the only reason I'm even mildly interested in the film is the cast. Ethan Hawke, who I'm having kind of a revitalized uh, um, dalliance with. I, I There was a, a time when I was really tired of Ethan Hawke, but I really like Ethan Hawke now. Uh, Ed Harris, Mila Jovovich, John Leguizamo, Anton Yelchin, Dakota Johnson, and Penn Badgley. Uh, director Michael... Oh, you're going to mess me up on this one, aren't you? I Michael don't think so. Almereda? Pretty good. Almereda delivered Hamlet back in 2000, also starring Ethan Hawke. I saw it back then. Did you see it? I never saw that one. That's the one that was kind of like in the business world yes. or something, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And and I have very little memory of it beyond, again, the cast. Kyle McLaughlin, Sam Shepard, Liev Schreiber, Julia Stiles. <sighs> Julia, and wait for it, Bill Murray as Polonius. Uh, so I guess it did something for these Shakespeare rehashes. Julia Stiles obviously went on the next year to do Tim Blake Nelson's remake of Othello. Oh, uh, all of them the spiritual successors to 1996's Romeo plus Juliet. Uh, uh-huh. with Leo. Uh, all that is to say that what with Joss Whedon's backyard update of Much Ado About Nothing in 2012, are we on a weird resurgence of Shakespeare in Los Angeles stories? And really, is that such a good thing? <laughs> <laughs> Agony started floating around festivals in 2014, but hits a wide release, wide-ish release, March 13, 2015. What did you think? Well, you know, I always have a hard time with these Shakespeare stories when they are uh, put in modern world. It just it it seems so anachronistic for people um, in modern day to be speaking this way, and I always struggle with it. And uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I think it looks interesting. I like the vibe of it overall, and maybe that will help carry it through but again it's not something that jumps up and and screams come watch me right now can you articulate for me i mean yeah i have i I have such a heart and i see all of these films i do i don't know why i should just not go (laughs) uh but i see them all and i'm i have the same frustration as you do like the the language just it it doesn't work for me and i have such a hard time understanding why we don't just write the new script just yeah. modernize the language. You're going to modernize the film, keep the story, write the new script. I can't understand the value of of the language. And, you know, for some reason, I've seen a lot of stage performances of Shakespeare done in different um, uh, different times and, and places, eras and, and cultures. And for some reason, that works for me better. You know, I, yeah. I've I've seen uh, I've seen 1940s Hamlet, uh, uh, you know, and the, these things. They just hold better when you see them live on stage for me. The films just don't. Do you know why? Can you tell me why this is something that that directors feel is important? Uh, I don't know. I mean, everybody wants to have their take on it. You know, that's that's what it is. And to a certain extent, there's the, the um, you know, there's a certain audience that you can guarantee will see it because they like to just go watch all the different Shakespeare's and stuff, you know, and it's. You know, something that uh, people can be talking about. I mean, I've never even heard of this this uh, play before. Cymbeline. Yeah, it's or, yeah. it's yeah, from yeah. it's it's rumored to have been from the early 1600s. 
Yeah, kind of. Not, they said it was lost or something. Yeah, so. not one of the more popular ones. Yeah, it's like they've they have run out of uh, they've run out of things to do. But you know, it's you know, I, I maybe I just I, it's hard for me to watch any other Shakespeare film after Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I mean, I think Tom Stoppard just he put the last nail in the Shakespeare coffin with that film. That was so <laughs> wonderful. And and frankly, such a wonderful adaptation of Shakespearean English for the period uh for a period film. It was just great. Yeah. Uh so that's mine. All right. Well, handy, you know. Some men get the world, others get ex hookers and a trip to Arizona. They were three cops who had nothing in common. Freeze! Big V, what are you doing here? Hey, you know, man, keeping the streets safe, boys. One would do anything to get ahead. You're truly prepared to be despised within a department? Yes, sir, I am. One had his own brand of justice. How's it going to look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. And one loved the spotlight. What exactly do you do on the show, Jack? I teach Brett Chase how to walk and talk like a cop. The Night Owl Massacre. This is a heinous crime that requires swift resolution. Six victims. One of them, one of our own. Interrogations will be led by Lieutenant Edmund Exley. I need some backup. Come on. All right, college boy, I'll help. Now, all of them are faced with solving one case. Don't move! I want confessions, Edmund. Oh, I'll break them, sir. These people are all in the morgue. And someone has to pay for it. There's something wrong with the night owl. I just can't prove it. They thought they had it all figured out. Anything bothering you about the night owl case? fact that you guys won't let it get filed away. I didn't kill nobody! But what started as a murder... You talk only to me on this one. ...became a mystery that could cost them everything. Why was Susan Leffert at the Night Owl? I don't know. I never heard of the Night Owl till today. How about some payback, big time? We need evidence. I'll get the evidence. It was an information exchange. Do you have any proof? The proof had his throat slit. What do you want, actually? I just want to solve this thing. Even if it means paying the consequences? Academy Award winner Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, James Cromwell, Kim Basinger, Danny DeVito. L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential, Andrew. 1997 uh, was a good year. It was. It was. It was a big year. <laughs> it was a big year. This film uh, went uh, went right up again and and held its own pretty well against. The Titanic of yeah. films, Titanic, uh, from uh, this one from director uh, Curtis Hansen and uh, Brian Helgeland uh, penned the script with Hansen, based on the book uh, *Lake Confidential* by James Elroy, starring just a fantastic cast: Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, and Guy Pearce make up the uh, uh, our triumvirate of um, of. L.A. police heroes, James Cromwell as the uh, captain, Kim Basinger as the uh, bombshell, Danny DeVito. I believe she goes by Basinger. Oh, see, of course you would say that. It is Basinger. Yes. Yeah. But that's okay. Uh, She doesn't with me, though. Oh, of course not. Uh, And Danny DeVito as the the scummy little reporter. That's right. Yeah. David Strathairn as the rich uh, pornographer. (laughs) Uh, and i was very excited to see uh, ron rifkin as the district attorney ellis lowe uh rifkin who uh, we became uh, great friends with our family uh as we watched him each week on alias back in the day Uh, remember that show i do i do i never watched it oh please remember the show i know that's a real shame i know yeah 
So uh, how did this hold? When, first of all, when's the last time you saw it? And how did it hold up this on this viewing? Um, I saw it. I, I feel like it's been a while. It's probably been at least, you know, I'd say five to ten years that I've seen this. Um, but it it just it holds up so well. Every time I've seen this, I find it just such a strong film. Um, I think of the films from the, that were nominated for Best Picture in uh, 97, I think this one actually holds up the best of the lot of Titanic, As Good As It Gets, The Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, and this. I would, I would pick this over those other ones. I can see why Titanic would still, uh, you could still claim it as the winner. It's, it's awfully grand. I think James Cameron has, an, has just a, an amazing ability to put a film together and to weave an amazing story using amazing technology. But I think this film is the strongest of the lot. I think it's got amazing characters, which Titanic, one could argue, certainly lacks uh, in the script department. Uh, this, the characters just are unforgettable in this. They aren't necessarily characters that jump out at you as uh, ones that you like right away. There's definitely um, issues with each of them that make them kind of a little bit unlikable, but also likable. And I think it's a really interesting um, way to play the characters. And uh, each of them have uh, their own journey, which is also great to see, and, and kind of how they grow over the course of the film. And just the, the, the film in general, the story, I think, works really well every time I've seen it. And I love what it does with the city of Los Angeles for 1953, I believe is when it takes place. I just, I absolutely love this film. I do too. I think so much works really, really well in this film. Uh, I'm I, I'm with you on the the characters. I mean, particularly in the the sort of parallel stories that we see unfold between Ed Exley, Bud White, and Jack Vincennes as they um, as they are each working a different angle of this particular case that eventually comes together and meets in the middle. Um, it is uh, it's a wonderfully thrilling, uh, and yet um, I I think I, I don't know. It's it's not sort of a, a sluggish pace, but it, it is a methodical pace of the film. So by the time you hit the third act and you're, 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 you know, we've, we lose, um, you know, Jack Vincennes character. I think I'm just, I'm absolutely locked in. Uh, I think what the film does really well, uh, is in the, the hands of, um, Hanson and Helgel and the script, I think is, it does a, a really nice job with language. I think they, you know, there is a, a sense of homage to the period. There's an homage to the to the genre of film that this is um, this is really holding itself uh, itself up against. Um, and uh, I, I love the way it bounces between the more sort of uh, caricature of the noir with Danny DeVito's character and then to, you know, a little bit more plausible kind of um, uh, language between the main three main characters. I think it's uh, it works really, really well. Um, I, and yet I do have some new problems with it that I didn't think I ever had. Hmm. I know, right? Tell me. Uh, for me, it's not noir enough. And I don't mean... In the execution by the uh, of the the actual sort of character or story, visually it's not noir enough. Hmm. 
Tell me you don't see that a little bit. Like you're walking, you know, what I'm used to when I'm seeing these kinds of stories is I'm seeing, I, I'm seeing the the low angles, the high angles, right? I'm seeing these the the playing with light in in more sort of harsh shadows. In that respect, I think Million Dollar Baby did a much more sort of um, uh, admirable job of delivering on the visual style of or the lighting style that I would have wanted to see in this film. Uh, maybe it's the period, whatever. But the other uh, um, or the, I should say, the period of that the film in which the film was made, um, you know, whatever. But the the I think between the cinematography not being quite risky enough for me, not being quite dramatic enough for me, the editing was a little bit uh, sluggish for me. Now, the cinematography is done it was in the hands of the wonderful uh, Dante Spinati and uh, Peter Honus, the editor. And uh, I think between the two, the the playing it safe cinematography and the um, the the rather sluggish editing, um, I found myself really like it, it. It stuck out to me that it felt there were periods where it just felt like the film was slowing down. And some weird choices. I'll give you one example, and then I'll shut up. When Ed Exley goes to meet, um, what's her name? You know her name? Lynn Bracken. Mm -hmm. When Ed Exley goes to meet Lynn Bracken, um, he walks in, and there's a dramatic turn, right? There's a dramatic turn. He walks, he talks to her for a little bit, and then he passes her. He walks into the house, and then he has one line, and he says the full line while staring at a wall. And he's, like, too close to the wall. And then he turns after he finishes delivering the line. He turns around. And the whole time I'm thinking, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Like, what is your, what is the possible reason for you to have the camera right on your shoulders in the back of your head as long as it was? It was just, it just was like an eternal uh, lingering shot on the back of his head in the space of this scene. And it made his turn really, really awkward. And those little elements, those little pieces of just it's like a speed bump in the visual narrative of the film and i found myself really um uh, more bothered by it than i ever have been hmm that's interesting i'd have to look at that scene again to catch the specific shot that you're looking at um well and it's I, not the only one i mean i i feel those those little it's like a little punctuation like a little ellipsis in the visual style of the film that happens throughout uh and i that i found was was troublesome go ahead i'm sorry i interrupted you no, it's interesting. Um, I I think that you might, uh, speaking specifically of the cinematography by uh, Dante Spinotti, I think you may be looking for more noir from this than uh, there should be. Because I don't think it was ever intended to have a noir feel. I think the the look the entire time was to have kind of that... Uh, police thriller feel from the 40s, not necessarily noir. And I don't know if I would really classify this in uh, the noir category uh, specifically. I mean, I guess there's a sense you could call Lynn uh, kind of a, a femme fatale, although I, I don't know if I'd really say that except maybe how the the scenes play out with, with Exley. Um, but I don't feel like there's... the that you know putting this into the camp of noir works for me i think crime thriller is much more where it fits and and with that i think it uh, gets everything right and i think the look of it absolutely taps into what uh i was expecting for uh this world and i think the look uh, fits with the vibe of 1950s la and uh, works really well in context of the characters that we're watching 
Huh. I don't know if I, uh, I don't know how I, how that sits with me, that this is not a, a noir film to you, a neo-noir. I, no, that it's a crime. It's a crime. This is a crime thriller. I mean, a, a noir typically is going to have your, your hero who is going to get brought down uh, over the course of the story and, uh, you know, end up much worse off than they uh, started. And, uh, I mean, we're going to be talking about noir in a series coming soon, so we're certainly going to have a lot of opportunity to talk noir. But I don't think I would... I mean, this is really is it's a crime thriller. I don't think I ever would have classified this as noir. I mean, I would say it has some noirish elements, but I don't think I would call it a noir. Well, I think that's what's so that's what's so interesting about it is that it is a it it fits inside the genre and what they did with it was interesting enough to play with it. Like in particular, right, the femme fatale, right? She is in her relationship with Exley, she is she fits the stereotype, but in her relationship with Bud, she absolutely does not. And that's what makes it an interesting play on the the way the the way the film fits inside the genre. That's what that's what gives us the the contrast in our expectation. Uh but I, I, you know, I'm even, and I, I should do this here. I'm, I just want to see what the great Wikipedia says. Well, here they we call it a neo noir. They do. It's on the list. Yeah, it says a neo noir crime film. And then you go to main article and film noir or neo noir. Well, but it's there. a neo noir. It's not. It is neo noir. I, mean, I know. I went yeah, to the wrong. Yeah, I clicked the wrong thing. Just yeah, uh, go yeah, easy yeah. on me. See, this is what I mean. This is what is in my head, right? Of, of what a neo noir is. It, it takes these classic themes and classic styles of film noir and updates them uh, with with these elements of either cultural relationship elements, uh, sexual elements, uh, or gender elements in particular. Um, uh, these things that that they didn't play with in traditional noir films. That were sure. not available in the 40s and, and 50s themselves. So that's where I think this really does, it really does fit. Um, and it's it certainly, I mean, I, I have a hard time just just with the, the visual style, the way the film opens, right? The, uh, the, the um, uh, over the monologue the, of Danny DeVille, or Danny DeVille. Danny DeVito. <laughs> Danny DeVito. <laughs> uh, and, and on the QT, very hush hush. You know the the smash zoom on the words on the typewriter. You know, uh, you know. I think it just um, those those sorts of sequences just scream noir to me. I mean, I can I can see what you're saying. I d- just don't agree with you. And yes, they call it a neo noir. I would say okay. I can see that it's playing with some of the elements that uh that like it says that they didn't necessarily deal with in noir films at the time but at the same time i i feel like this the the main focus of this is not what you would typically see in a noir which is uh you know kind of just a, a dark story of somebody's downfall essentially this one uh really is uh i mean it, it's it's about we're following some police officers as they um you know these three officers as they're investigating separate crimes that they realize all are tied into the exact same crime and uh, they work to solve the crime and uh, resolve the story and that's that's what happens i mean yes one of the officers does die but uh you know i i don't i don't know i guess i i just have a hard time with the definition of this being a noir and i, I even a neo noir i mean i would say some of the elements but well and we've talked about know. this before i think you're actually on the record as saying you don't even really like the the neo noir term right 
Well, no, I mean, I, I, I think noir really kind of had a, a definitive end, and I don't, I don't know. Did I ever say that? I, I don't, don't know. think I ever. Was it back when we talked about like multi or uh, what else did we talk about that was neo noir? I don't. Have remember. we talked about anything that fits in the bill? God, we doing this too long anyway the the uh the the point is the the i think uh what you are what i'm hearing you say is all about the the you know we're not dealing so much with the conflicted anti-heroes that these guys are in 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 prime case ed exley is a hero right but but is he he ends up being a hero who uh who absolutely takes advantage of his situation and blackmails uh senior uh political officials and i mean he's not a good guy he does the right thing but not for the right reasons uh bud white a very similar tale he's a thug right he's a thug who ends up in this in these situations but he is not a good guy he he does not do things uh, by the law by the book he does things his own way to get to meet his own ends jack vincennes is constantly on the dole on you know taking blackmail taking bribes um these are not good guys these are anti-heroes if there ever were anti-heroes right uh so in the in the yes they're like uh like you know the captain smith says i mean they are anti-heroes in the sense that they're doing it because they're trying to achieve um, a good outcome in the end, right? Like Bud White may, like, like what does he say? You know, he's, he's just willing to say yes to some of the questions I ask you from time right. to time. Those questions being like, are you willing to plant evidence on somebody that you know is guilty, but you just don't have it? Like that sort of stuff. And, and I mean, obviously it's, it's against the law, but I mean, it's, it's achieving what is right in the end. It's just doing it in an illegal way. Yes. And is is that not uh, a definition? That, no. One possible I, definition of of this conflicted kind of antihero terror uh, ter- terror no. terror character. I, ter- terror? I, I think right. I think there is an element of that in this definition of neo noir, and that is an element that you're right. They are playing with that in this film. They're playing with these characters who are supposed to be, you know, they're police officers. They're supposed to be good characters, representative uh, representatives of what is right. But here we see them constantly doing what's wrong, constantly, yeah, doing things uh, for their own reasons. To uh, you know, you know, Exley is getting ahead by blackmailing people, like you say, or he's willing to squeal, whatever it takes so that he can get ahead. Um, and, and so, yeah, they, they each have their own reasons for doing the things that they do. That, I think, can play into what they're, or the reason that they're calling this a neo-noir. I still just don't totally buy into it, but I can go along with it. I can go along with it. But going back to your original point, I don't think that that means that the style, like the camera work, needs to feel noirish. Like, I don't feel like they needed to have these low angles, high angles, these crazy shots, these drastic, shadowy scenes and everything in order to kind of complete that noirish feel. I don't think that uh, was necessary. And I think that the way that they chose to make it look actually works really well. And on that point, we disagree. Yes, we do. 
<laughs> I, you know, for me, really, the bottom line is for me, if they're going to play with some of these conflicted characters, if they're going to give us, you know, if they're going to dance around the visual elements of noir, if they're going to dance around the colors and tones of updating sort of the, the sentiment of noir, and they're not going to use more striking use of, of light, more striking use of shadow, the low-key lighting and the crazy bananas camera placement, then it just doesn't go quite far enough for me. That does not mean, however, that I do not supremely adore this movie. I really do. Uh, I think it's just terrific. And I'm uh, so. Where do we go from here? How do we reconcile this? We're going to have to duke them out. Swords at dawn. That's right. All right. I can do it. Um, let's talk just a little bit about uh, our main characters, shall we? we talk yeah, about I think this, it's Jack a fantastic first? trio. Uh, Jack Vincennes, uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, the American of the cast. We'll have to talk about that here because yeah. I think that's kind of an interesting uh, element. Um, he is just, he works so well as this cop who is, uh, I mean, he's a, uh, a uh, technical advisor on this uh, police TV show that's a uh, riff of Dragnet. And, um, it, you know, it's his baby because he loves the attention it gets for him. And Kevin Spacey does that so well. He plays that line brilliantly of this cop who does his job but wants to kind of live in the spotlight which isn't necessarily where cops always live but he loves it and that's kind of his uh as uh you know guy pierce at exley knows that's his uh the chink in his armor because that's how you get to him yeah exactly and and that was uh you know that's how they end up um kind of finding uh their finding their middle ground. That's how they, they discover one another is, um, uh, Ed Exley is, is watching him, uh, be tested in this way in front of the DA is the DA essentially tells him, you know, you're going to be busted back and you're not, you're off the show, yeah. uh, unless you, you squeal a little bit. Uh, and that, I, I think, uh, it, you know, for me, Kevin Spacey, I, I think, you know, I, I discovered Kevin Spacey in, uh, the usual suspects, uh, I, oh really? Yeah, yeah. But not in uh, uh, what you would call it, um, uh, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. You know, I knew about him, but I, when I say discovered, I mean I, I really felt like this is this is a guy I'm gonna I'm gonna be seriously watching. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, you know, I mean, I, but but this was the the film that really I think you know I, I think it demonstrates his um, what's the word? It, it's just his presence. Right, yes. He's, he wasn't a character; he was just incredibly large on screen. He was huge. He was a movie star. Yeah, that's exactly it. At which which works. That's why he works so well for this character. Yeah, yeah, he really did. He he just dominates his character, and same for for Bud White. You know, he was a thug. He was he was just muscle. And he was, you know, Russell Crowe, I think, was a fantastic turn of this film. And when he takes his shirt off, he was a little soft, right? He looked like just a big, hulking kind of thug. Mm -hmm. uh, especially compared to, you know, these days, he's definitely cut up a little bit uh, compared to, to this film. Interestingly, um, Curtis uh, Hansen... Well, he saw Romper Stomper, which is an early Russell Crowe film, which if you haven't seen, it's uh, it's yeah, it's a tough one to watch because he's a neo-Nazi. 
and it's uh, it's a little brutal. But um, you can see why Curtis Hansen would want to cast him because because uh, Crow is pretty brilliant in it. Um, but he also um, Hansen had in his mind Aldo Ray, which we talked about on uh, the uh, uh, We're No Angels Christmas That's episode right. a few years That's ago. Right. And Aldo Ray had that kind of bulky build and looked like that guy who could take you down. And he had Aldo Ray in his mind with this part. And uh, I think he gave a photo of Aldo Ray to uh, Russell Crowe as kind of his reference point. And Russell Crowe kept that uh, photo in his script, like through the through all the rehearsals and, and into the making of this film, which uh, I, I, I think it just works so well to just create this sense of who this character is and not just not just the sense that he's the muscle and he's not afraid to to uh help the captain out by beating up some people in order to get them to uh leave town or whatever but you also have this amazing story with him where he is uh clearly has had some dark family drama in his past where his uh his father beat his mother to death and he was chained to the radiator and had to watch and it's just like this horrific story that he tells about what happened and now he's got this thing about uh, people who abuse their wives or their girlfriends and it's a really interesting character element that uh, uh that was written into this character initially by elroy and then subsequently by um uh by helgeland and it just is a great turn for this character that uh, is so violent, but also just gets so angry with people who are violent toward women that I found really interesting. And then also really powerful when he has that, uh, that break in him because the fact that, um, that Exley slept with uh, Bracken. Yeah, he he comes off as really very sweet uh, in his rage, you know, and when he goes to to confront Lynn Bracken after he discovers that that Ed Exley and, and um, you know, Bracken had had slept together, uh, his rage is at the same time so incredibly powerfully innocent and and that makes it just so much more primal it makes it really i mean i i it's so easy to to buy it you know he felt like a you know somebody who was just sort of cooked as an adolescent and and never quite emotionally expanded past you know 15 16 years old and could only respond in this in this thuggish brutish primal kind of fashion i thought he just pulled it off really really well yeah, yeah, he's he's so great in the role. He is uh he's a Kiwi. He is. He is a Kiwi and grew up in Australia. He's one of the two casting choices that uh the producers were a little perplexed by with uh, Kurt, Curtis Hansen who was looking for faces that uh Americans hadn't seen before or at least on the on the big stage. And um there was a lot of uh, a lot of debate about whether they were gonna let him have Russell Crowe and the next one, Guy Pierce, as two of the three leads. Yeah. I had you seen anything from Guy Pierce uh, before this? I had seen uh, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. See, I, I know I had seen that, but I I had not made any connection to Guy Pierce by the time i saw la confidential i i saw priscilla queen it was one of those things i saw queen of the desert long after and thought well clearly this movie came after uh la confidential Mm -hmm. 
I had no sense. I mean, it was it was several years before, right? I mean, wasn't Queen of the Desert? It was like, 90, 93? It was 94. 94, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it was, um, I, I was certainly out of touch. Um, but, wow, did he just, he was just perfect for this role. He was just perfect as a, as the, he's such, I mean, as the, as the, the captain says, he's a political animal. Yeah, he is, he's really frightening. In a, in a large way, he's kind of the most frightening character of the bunch even though by the end i mean you can't help but just love the guy and really be on his side as he teams up with uh, the other two but man i mean he's just uh, i mean he's clean cut he does everything by the book so much so to the point that he is willing to uh let other officers fall when he knows that they're wrong by squealing on them so that he can move up in rank. And he does it several times in the film. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, and, but you know, and, and at, at times he, uh, is hated by his fellow officers because of what he does. But then there are times when he actually proves that he actually is really good at what he does. And he actually, you know, gets the accolades and everybody is like, Hey, good job. Good job. And so, he does prove his worth of these of these uh, advances that he gets, but man, he goes through so much, uh, you know, flack from everybody else that it's just is it worth it? But to him, it is, and uh, he plays that so well with this character. One of the things I like so much about his portrayal of this character, I think he addresses it a little bit in character at the very last sequence. It's that throughout the course of the film, you're never quite sure if he has intentionally sort of put the machine in motion to get what he wants or if he is just slightly behind that particular eight ball where he is he's just taking advantage of a situation in his favor right mm-hmm. i i'm never quite sure if he is just diabolically uh, political or if he's naturally political yeah that makes sense I- yeah, it does. And I, I think I, I, my sense has always been that he's just naturally political. He doesn't look at it like I'm going to screw these people over to uh, to get, uh, you know, get to the better spot. It just seems like he just has his end game set in his head as to where he wants to be. And I think he's that's what he I mean, at the end, he says, you know, when he says to Lynn Bracken, he says, yeah, you know, they're using me. I'm going to use them for a while. That, it, yeah. that there is a quid pro quo in this relationship. And it seems very much like the DA and the, his sort of police leadership understand that, too. Yeah. But he is also from New Zealand. He's uh, he's from Australia. Oh, yeah, he's from Australia. His, his yeah. parents were born in New Zealand. His father was born in New Zealand. His mother's English. Think, Look at that. Yeah, yeah English. I think yeah. he's... I think he was born in, in Lo- or London or somewhere in England, but raised in Australia. In Cambridgeshire. Cambridgeshire, Cambridgeshire, England. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was terrific. Yeah, and uh, it's just, I, it always struck me so funny because if you see the poster or the box art for this, uh, Kim Bassinger is like the most predominant figure on the poster. And then Kevin Spacey is a little bit behind her. And then way in the back, you've got Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce yeah, yeah. because nobody knew who they were and they just didn't have uh, the power to contractually get, uh, you know, their, their head sized the same as everybody else. So they're way in the back and it's like, come on, 
it's their story. I, I mean, Kim Bassinger is a critical character in the story, and I think she does a fine job in the film. But having her like way up in front, just uh, you know, aside from helping continue that noirish element, I guess by putting kind of that femme fatale sort of figure on the cover, it just always has uh, struck me as odd. Well, it definitely serves two masters there, right? That that you're right. It it uh, it serves to continue the noir um, image. It's it's you know accentuated cleavage uh mm-hmm. you know as long as we're as we're noticing things while walking down the the you know walking down the theater hall uh we're going to notice that um, exactly and uh and you know i think it serves the mission of the film too right the intention of the film that these three guys ultimately are working you know to get closer and closer to her or to woman uh right as as it you know, this is all around a porn ring and and trying to solve kind of her mystery, right? Yeah, which I think is yeah. is super interesting. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that is funny though. I, I it, boy, Russell Crowe. It's like is he even there? I think his head's the size <laughs> of the O in Hollywood, way in the back. Right, he's so tiny. It's actually a little bit blurry. <laughs> uh, it's hard to tell who they are. Yeah, so that's pretty good. Pretty good. So uh, James Cromwell. Yeah, we just talked about his first film, uh, you know, what, a month ago or something? Yeah, was that perfect? That was uh, uh, Murder by Death. Uh-huh. Uh, and here he is, uh, Captain Dudley Smith. Uh, he was, what did you think of uh, old Dudley Smith? Oh, I think he's great. I think he's a, he's a great character. I think um, he plays that balance of knowing how to work with all of these different types of cops, really well and that's something i i don't think you see very often in uh in in police thrillers you always seem to have the detective who like the captain like gets along with or the captain just yells at all the time right Mm -hmm. this is this uh really interesting captain who understands how bud white works and knows how to use him and play him he understands how ed exley works and knows how to use him and play him and likewise with jack vincennes and I find that so much more ref- uh, refreshing and uh, possibly honest as how you would depict an actual captain in a police force. I, I really like that in Dudley Smith's character. I do, too. I think one of the things that, that comes off very early in the film is you see his character evolve. And I, and I guess I should say his character doesn't necessarily evolve, but as the layers of this particular onion are peeled back and we discover what he was you know, actually doing— mm-hmm. um, he starts out really quite paternal and and I really like that. I like that his his sensibility is to take care of Exley and to to sort of shepherd him into the force in a particular way uh, to look out for him and once you understand where he is coming from and where his his final sort of mission leads him i mean he's the bad guy um yeah and and once you kind of get a sense of that 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 twist is is sort of the ultimate kind of paternal betrayal uh, as everybody realizes that this guy who was looking out for him who was taking him under his wing he was taking bud white under his wing and bringing him into this this uh, you know alternate force um to to beat up out of town gangsters and such um y- you know it's uh, it, it really it's hurtful because you love James Cromwell, boyo. You just love him. You want him to be. You, you want him to be uh, the caretaker. You want him to be dad. And I, I think he play, plays that really, really well. 
Well, especially, I mean, this was what just a couple years after uh, that'll do, pig, that'll do. Exactly. You know? and yeah. It's and I mean, God, you could not help but love that man as as uh, as the farmer in yeah. that film because it's just so he played that so heartwarming and it was such a. I mean, it was, it was a very sweet film, but as as uh, Farmer Hoggett, um, to see him turn into this character who. Is just, has this this dark streak in him uh, that he has in uh, in LA Confidential. It really kind of uh, uh, breaks that for you, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he I think he does that balance between those two really well. Do you watch Boardwalk Empire at all? I haven't. I haven't watched that. It's one that I keep meaning to, but haven't I checked know. it out. I, I know it's going to be one one that I'm going to binge one day. I have not watched it either, but um, you know, I love looking at his stills from Boardwalk Empire. He looks like such, once again, such an interesting character. Uh, and I, I'm very curious, especially now after seeing this one again, I'm really curious how he, uh, how he, he uh, plays in that, in that show. I think I'm going to have yeah. to pick, pick that up season one. Yeah. He's somebody who just, boy, is he just always busy. Yeah. Busy, busy, busy. Um, he did a, what was that great film he did a couple years ago? Still mine. I don't know if you saw that, but, uh, really, uh, just kind of a quiet, but really powerful film about a man who's, um, trying to build his house for his dying wife on this plot of land of theirs and dealing with the government because they, the local government, because they keep coming in and saying, well, you don't have the right permits. You don't have this, you don't have that. And it's a pretty brilliant character piece for him. Wow. I did not see it. I did yeah. not see it. I'll check it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who else? Uh, oh, Kim Basinger. Kim, uh, Kim Basinger, uh, you know, she won Bas- her Oscar it's Basinger. for this. Basinger. <laughs> Just say it like it needs to be said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pete. Oh, uh, Pete. Danny DeVito. <laughs> what is this? Gooey Pierce? Gooey Pierce. <laughs> Gooey Pierce. David Stratern. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Uh, you know, I like uh, Kim. I think that uh, she's she's enjoyable to watch in the right roles. Um I don't think that happens too often for her. I think she picks a lot of, um, just makes bad choices a lot. I loved her in Cellular. I loved her in Eight Mile. I, I uh, uh, man, she was in a movie with Tom Hanks. Uh, Elvis has left the building. Ooh, man, there's a terrible, terrible film. Don't watch that one. What about Vicky Vale? Vicky Vale. Oh, that's right. And, and was Honey Hornet in Wayne's yep. World too? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, she's done some good stuff. She's done uh, a lot of stuff that I just think is is garbage. But um, yeah, this you know, she won her Oscar for this, and uh, I think she did a great uh, a great job as this type of character. This is one of those roles that it's like when you cast the right person, they can do great things with the role. I think this is why some of the women um, win for roles that uh woody allen writes for them um jennifer tilly yeah i think yeah comes to mind i don't think that uh, she screams um oscar winning actress normally but because she was cast by woody allen in the perfect role in uh what was the name of the film the broadway one uh, uh bullets over broadway bullets over broadway that's that you know she, he knew to cast the exact right person for the role and she ended up winning an oscar for it same thing with kim here she plays this this uh prostitute who uh you know is cut to well 
not necessarily cut, but is meant to look like a movie star uh, from days gone by. And uh, but she brings that kind of gravitas and sadness and uh, and presence to the role that I you know I think she did a good job here when she the, her when she enters right she gets an entrance and she doesn't get a walk on entrance but she gets an entrance that is is a little bit heart stopping um, they're in the liquor store and all you see is the back of her head and she's wearing a big black velvet cloak with a white silk kind of fringe around the inside but you don't see her all you see are her fingernails and you see a little bit maybe of her nose as Bud White kind of gets closer to her and then she turns her head and it is a wonderful cut as we kind of we we get to see her framed uh and she's just immaculate she's just a masterpiece of stereotype uh but is really beautiful and and it is a stunning uh entrance for her character what is here is a, a funny thing and i did not know know this and or i did not i i had not ever noted this if you look at, uh, you remember uh, Cool World. Yeah, Do you remember yes, that, 1992? Yes. Uh, Ralph Bakshi, Gabriel Byrne, yeah. Kim mm-hmm. Bessinger, Brad Pitt. So you go look at the cover art of that film. Yeah. She's wearing the same dress. Her, really? her cartoon is wearing practically the same dress. It's just short on Cool World. That's really funny. Uh-huh. It's all about the cleavage. That is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it is pretty much the same dress. <laughs> that is funny. It turns That's out funny. Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood. Uh, Holly did. Ellie did. Holly did. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. She's, I thought she was delightful in this film. She was very... I, I thought she played a, a really subdued, confident... Um, it, it, it's a weird... Another weird contrast that we have this character who ends up being subdued and confident, uh, and yet she's also subservient to... Um, her, you know, her pimp. Yeah. Uh, it, which is which is one of those really sort of catastrophic kind of emotional relationships that's that's very painful to watch. And yet she, I think she pulled it off really really well. Do you think that she should have won the Oscar? The other nominees were Joan Cusack for In and Out, Minnie Driver for Goodwill Hunting, Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights, and Gloria Stewart for Titanic. I think probably Julianne Moore. That's who I would I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, she was she was really great yeah. in that film, and and uh, I well, no disres- you, no disrespect, no none at all, none at all. Um, but uh, yeah, Boogie Nights was one of those films though that you knew probably was not going to win any Oscars. Yeah. yeah, a little too hard. Now, what about Brian Helgeland? Do you think that uh, this script should have won? It was up against uh, this was best uh, adapted screenplay. L.A. Confidential, Donnie Brasco uh, by Paul Atanasio, The Sweet Hereafter, Adam Agoyan, Wag the Dog by Hilary Henkin and David Mamet, or The Wings of the Dove by Hossein Amini. I have a hard time with this one, and I have a hard time particularly in hindsight because um, I'm generally not a great fan of Brian Helgeland's work. Like, yeah, I'm not either. This was one of those films where I saw it, and this was really early in his career, right? I mean, in his sort of published career. He'd done the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master. I'm a dream warrior. Oh, no, he was Dream Master. He didn't do dream the Dream Master. Warriors. That was right. number three. Uh, but So he'd done a bunch of, of like horror stuff, and uh, up through Assassin's. 976 Evil. <laughs> yeah, 972. Oh, my uh, God, I watched that a lot when I was a kid. Assassin's, uh, Richard Donner's uh, uh, film, but also got credit credit uh andy and lana wachowski um so this that, that was a terrible film 
Uh, and and then he gets this one, and this I remember walking out of this thinking, man, I need to give that guy a look. And then he comes back with like conspiracy theory and the postman, and like, oh my goodness, payback yeah. was. I, I enjoyed payback. I thought payback was great, but I didn't like the way it was edited. The the re release was much much better. Payback um, was his. Uh, that was his directorial debut. Too. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And Knight's Tale I, I, is is not memorable. I don't I don't remember hating it. Well, but Knight's Tale, I mean, I, I think as the uh, as the uh, writer-director for that one, I think he was playing with the conventions a lot, though, which I, I thought was at least more fun. I think that was a more fun take on it. Yeah. Uh, he made it feel more modern, even though it was set in the uh, in the uh, period of the medieval times. But I, I, I thought that he played with that one nicely. I thought that was fun. And then I think I remember thinking fondly of, of Mystic River and... Um, um green zone and man on fire man on fire obviously is coming from a you know coming from a book um was green well, we zone, about green zone adaptation too no yes no, no. rajiv chandra sekaran hmm. uh so in terms of adaptations you know he's he's i i of those that i have seen i i think of him fondly but generally i mean of his 23 credits i'm uh, i'm not a huge fan of his and so i'm i have a hard time saying yeah he's a he is a surefire he should absolutely should have won the oscar for this film. it's a great film but i'm not sure that it's it's an oscar winning script well i don't know i would argue because i mean we've both read the book yeah and i think the book is an incredible incredible read it's very dense, a lot of characters, a lot of uh, different um, people that you're following. I think it's like seven or eight different characters that you're following, and they condensed this down to these three cops and really made it their story. And I think that the script, as far as an adaptation goes, I think this was really, really spot on. I mean, I love Donnie Brasco. Wag the Dog, I remember very fondly. Uh, The Wings of the Dove, I know I saw it. And and same with Sweet Hereafter. Um, I I don't know. I guess I would would still go Ellie Confidential just... And and really, it's the only one I know the source material from. I just think that as far as an adaptation goes, it was a really strong adaptation. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, I don't I don't feel like I'm I'm confident enough in the others. But I like your point. I mean, and to your point, I think if you're judging this on the the you know structure that you have to build and take down in order to condense uh, that book uh, into a uh, two hour and twelve minute screenplay, yeah, it's it, it's commendable work yeah yeah all right you're here uh, um and curtis hansen and curtis hansen he he for me fits into the brian helgeland it, uh world exactly <laughs> exactly uh you know the man who brought us uh uh you know the hand that rocks the cradle and the river wild and then here he is doing la confidential <laughs> yeah evil town uh yeah. you know losing it losing and, it oh yeah terrible um you know bedroom window bad influence and then uh right after la confidential wonder boys and then you thought this is now we've got something and then you know eight mile i think eight mile and in her shoes actually both were really good films yeah i agree and so there was a little bit of a string so it wasn't quite as kind of sporadic as as brian Hugland. but then i didn't see lucky you or chasing mavericks I haven't seen um, either of those either. So, Eric, Lucky you, I Eric remember. Banna and Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I remember it not getting very good reviews and Chasing Mavericks. Uh, I don't, I, gosh, I don't even know much about that one. Oh, that was that it's surfing a surf movie. One. Yeah, it's a surfing yeah. one, yeah. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know much about that, but it was, that was, was it it, co-directed by Michael Apted? Mm -hmm. How's that work? Eh, They make it work. Eh, Gerard Butler. But he did have those, he he did have those four films right there in the middle. LA Confidential, Wonder Boy, Eight Mile in Her Shoes. I mean, definitely LA Confidential, Wonder Boys, I think are the the strongest of the lot. Absolutely. Wonder, Wonder Boys is just one of my favorites, but, um, yeah, he just he just strikes me as well. I think the thing is, he came out of being kind of a uh, a, a director who is really a director for hire. You know, he was brought on to projects to do something with it. Like, hey, we want we were going to do this script, The River Wild. We want you to direct it because you did did you know you you did Hand the Rocks the Cradle and it worked really well. I think that's exactly um, the type of director he was. It's just that this material. And the same goes for Brian Helgeland. They both had latched onto this material um, kind of outside of the world of Hollywood. They just both had fallen in love with it. And it's the the same story for both. And when they heard that something was that Warner Brothers wanted to make it, they both independently came forward and wanted to be a part of it and pushed and pushed. And it's just the fact that they were both so passionate about the material that it actually ended up working out so well. Yeah, you can really tell that this was not made in the system, particularly other films at the time. I mean, if you're not uh if you're not making Titanic, uh you're not making films as as sort of dark and clever as as LA Confidential. Mhm. Absolutely yeah. terrific. Uh so, you know, we'll see. Who knows what's coming next from Curtis Hansen? I don't I mean, it doesn't look like there's anything in production, so. No, yeah. Uh, he's taking some taking some time off. Taking time off, yeah. yeah. Uh, who else? We've already talked about uh, sort of editing and and uh, cinematography. Uh, anybody well, else strike you? We want to talk more about? I, I think, uh, you know, the rest of the nominees are good to bring up. Um, you know, Best Picture was nominated for that. Arnon Milchon, Curtis Hansen, uh, Michael G. Nathanson. Um, a strong, strong picture. We already talked about it. The Janine uh, uh, Openwall and uh, Jay Hart, the uh, art director, set decorator, I think did a great job creating that period vibe in this film. You can argue it didn't uh, strike you as noir enough, but I think it worked really well. Well, and I would not, I mean, I think that in terms of just art design, and uh, it, it was beautiful. I thought it was, re- I thought they absolutely set the period. I, the, I, I regret that it wasn't photographed better. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh-huh. I turned the agree, table on agree you. To disagree. <laughs> best best sound. Uh, I particularly like this one because uh, my IMDb nemesis Andy Nelson was uh, was nominated, nominated here. Yes, along with uh, Anna Belmer and Kirk Francis. Um, and you already mentioned uh, Peter uh, Honus for film editing. And one of my ten J's, Jerry Goldsmith, was nominated for uh, best score. And lost to James Horner for Titanic, which, you know, I can understand that. But I do do love the music that Goldsmith um, did in the film here. Uh, it's, it really had a sense of the music he did for Chinatown, which also is a great L.A. period film. Mm-hmm. But this one just has... Um, it just works so well for the story. It's got that kind of driving beat, that cop feel to it. And I just, uh, I think he really nailed it. Yeah, I think so too. I think it, was, it absolutely fit the time. It was it's beautiful and it's it's listenable. Yes. You can you can put it on and enjoy it. Yeah, it's got those yeah. great horns. It works so yeah, well. Totally. Uh okay. Who else? Is that all the awards? <laughs> Is that all? 
Is that it? Yeah, it was nominated for nine, and uh, Titanic won seven of those. And uh, the only other two, uh, LA Confidential won, were uh, Kim Basinger and uh, Brian Helgeland and Curtis Hansen for the screenplay. Was it? Is it weird a little bit that there were no... Well, maybe not. I mean, I guess it, playing a, a thuggish cop is not really a, even a supporting actor nomination. I mean, honestly, I think that all three of the guys were good enough to have been nominated. The problem is when you have a film like this where essentially your protagonist is kind of split between three people and you've got three different people playing the protagonist. Exactly. It makes it, it, makes it hard for voters to, you know, the people have to, well, the studio first has to go, well, which one are we going to get behind? Which, which one's the one we're going to push for the actor? Which, who are we going to push for supporting actor? It makes it very hard, and it makes it, uh, you know, it turns it into something where people just aren't going to um, end up getting nominated because because of that split. Because it was it was uh, Goodwill Hunting that won. It was Robin Williams that won that year for supporting actor, right? Yeah, and, and then Jack Nicholson won for actor, right? For and, as good as it gets. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's one you like more than I do. In that, I I do love that film. Yeah. I'm thinking about uh, Robin Williams next to, again, as long as we're talking about uh, Boogie Nights, Burt Reynolds. Um, oh, yes. Who turned in a fantastic performance, even though, as I understand it, he didn't want to do the film, even as he's doing the film. <laughs> <laughs> Burt Reynolds. Uh, who else do you want to talk about on this thing? Are you, uh, you feel sated? I uh, I feel like I've kind of hit up everybody that I wanted to talk about. Uh, any Any little tidbits about james elroy you wanted to bring up i know this was part of his la quartet the uh books that he wrote uh the crime fiction novels that he wrote set in la through the 40s and 50s the black dahlia the big nowhere la confidential and white jazz i haven't read any of them except for la confidential i have read black dahlia which was um uh, terrific i have not read the big nowhere and i have not read white jazz but i did read american tabloid which i also really really liked um, and so this is one that, you know, it's another one of those. When we do these adaptation films, I, I really, I, I get really excited about diving back into these books. And this is one that, um, in fact, I just picked up The Big Nowhere on my Kindle. Um, nice. So that I can dig back into it. They're just great books. And he's such a wonderful, wonderful crime writer. Yeah. And I, I only saw the crappy Black Dahlia movie that Brian De Palma made. Don't, which, uh, please don't. God. It was just, I know. Uh. I know. God, <laughs> Brian is such a De Palma. <laughs> uh, all right. How did this one uh, do? Pretty well, obviously, in the Oscars. How did it do in the box office? It, it did well in the Oscars. It was not, obviously, uh, as Titanic at the box office as Titanic was at the box office. Um, this was, you know, it's it's kind of that darker crime thriller that uh, some people have a harder time clicking with. It cost $35 million to make. I couldn't find anything about prints and advertising, but it ended up, uh, uh, they made domestically about $65 million and internationally about 60, $61.6 million. Um, so all told, when you adjust it and look at the profit per finished minute, it made about nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars per finished minute so you know it did it did well for itself it, it succeeded in making money and i think the studio can be happy with that it won some awards got nominated for a bunch of others and um yeah it's in the green and it's a great movie i mean critics love this movie 
Yeah, they certainly did. They certainly did. And uh, I think rightfully so. We'll see. Um, you know, we'll see if we agree. I think, it's, I think it's time we rank it. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can check out our stack rankings of nearly 200 films that we have uh, we've stacked on this list and see if your favorites match our favorites. Uh, let's go. All right. First up, LA Confidential or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? L.A. Confidential. Absolutely. L.A. Confidential or City of God. L.A. Confidential for me. I do love that City of God. I, I do, too. I love it. I love it lots and lots. All right. L.A. Confidential. L.A. Confidential or Fight Club? Fight Club. Hmm. Why Fight Club? I uh, have a. I, I feel when I watch Fight Club, I have a deeply personal connection with that film, that I resonate with it, and and what these characters, and particularly our our sort of dual personality protagonists, are going through in this film on a on sort of a primal level. Not that I'm, you know, joining a Fight Club myself or making my own soap, soap but I really have a I, I have a connection to that film, and I I remember I didn't see it for the longest time, and when I finally did see it, I I it just moved right up in my own personal rankings very very quickly yeah yeah it's i don't i I don't have that same connection apart from this is la confidential is a brilliant film i don't have that kind of a uh when i see it does it hit a personal chord with me quite the same way i'll I'll go i'll agree with you on that i i think that uh, is pretty true i just wanted you to remind me of it (laughs) good thank you i could (laughs) la confidential or the sting (gasps) i would do la confidential I know it's a tough one. Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh man. I feel like I owe you, but that feels dirty. Ah, come on, LA Confidential. It's it, I mean it, it's a pretty strong film just no, because I, it no. wasn't shot the right way. <laughs> well, it wasn't shot the right way. Thank you for admitting that. That's my new ringtone. <laughs> okay, I'll give you LA Confidential. All right. Uh, let's see. LA Confidential or The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Now, here I'd go The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yeah, I think so. Uh, LA Confidential or Pete's personal baseball favorite, Moneyball. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, jeez, what do you think? I, I would do LA Confidential. I just, I, I, I love Moneyball dearly. Don't get me wrong, but I just, there's more. Maybe it's just because it's a genre film, and I just, I, I find it a little more thrilling to watch LA Confidential. All right, I'll give it to you. Only also because I have a friend who didn't like Moneyball, and he says, "Oh, that's the one where Brad Pitt throws a chair." Like, that's the only reason he remembered that film. Of all the wonderful reasons you could remember that film, he remembers Brad Pitt throws a chair. That is so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Uh, okay, L.A. Confidential or No Country for Old Men? L.A. Confidential. See, here I would do No Country for Old Men. How much? Oh, this number scale just confuses me. I could rock, paper, uh, scissors you all day long. No, I feel, I'm no, feeling no. lucky, punk. 
I, I, no comfort, no country for old men. I think is just such a strong, haunting film. Such brilliant characters. They both have brilliant characters, but no country for old men. I just, um, I don't know. I think I just resonate more with the uh, the characters' journeys in that film. I, I, and, and I, Shigur is pretty, pretty creepy yes, as a villain. He's absolutely creepy as a villain. I give you that. And, and in that respect, we don't have that kind of a strong, uh, strong, creepy antagonist in LA Confidential. And, uh, I, you know, that, that saddens me a little bit, but in terms of their overall journey, there is just, there's more activity and more people to watch. And I find it a little bit more, um, the complexity of their relationships I find more interesting um, and as beautiful as I think No Country for Old Men is it is a beautiful film it is really I mean and and if my only qualm with LA Confidential is is that you know cinematography and editing is you know not risky enough uh, boy I feel like No Country for Old Men makes up for it and just pure artistry in that regard um but I'm still I'm I'm pretty solid. I'd say I'm I'm an eight. All right, well, if you're solid, I'll go with LA Confidential. I'll give it to you. Okay. Well, I I feel like I've now I owe you even more. That's right, you All do. Right. Go ahead. I'll remember this. I'll remember Maybe. this. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's LA it. LA Confidential is number twenty-eight, right between Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and No Country for Old Men. All right. Twenty-eight out of one seventy-four. That pretty feels, good. I'd feels say. Feels pretty good. That feels pretty good. I don't know. There's a uh, part of me that wanted to see it just, you know, slide right up into the top ten, but I, it, that, I yeah, I kind of wish it did, but yeah. yeah. All right. Well, and once again, we're not talking about where we're going next week. I know this is uh, next week's going to be the final uh, final of our four uh, mystery connection films. Okay. So what is the what's the rule next week? You're going to hear the movie, you're going to listen to the podcast, you're going to hear the movie that we do, and then at the end of that episode, we're going to give you instructions on the race. Oh, right? really? Yeah. I, well, I thought we were we, we already gave instructions, didn't we? No, we got, there's a hashtag, right, that we're going to we're going to say what you have to do to actually oh, okay. win. Gotcha. Cuz it's a race. It's like the first it's first so the first the, person to first get person. through the show, hear the hashtag. And and get it right. You have to and get the answer get right. right. You have right. to get the answer right. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Is that fair? I mean, is do we agree? Are we in violent agreement? I think so. I think so. Okay. Let's do it. All right. I gotta go to bed. All right. I got an issue of hush hush to read. My Amazon review is by Eric in Napa, California. Excellent. Who gave it one star. I love his work. Said, Kim Basinger paid for her Oscar because she didn't deserve it for this movie. Hmm. When I saw this movie, it was a marginally okay movie. Nothing to write home about. Oscars should not be given to the highest bidder, which was what happened here. During the award show, it was the very first award. They knew she didn't earn it, so they tried to slip it in the beginning where nobody would notice. She stole it from someone who deserved it. Kim wasn't even in very many scenes, and to be given Best Supporting Actress for it? What a joke! 
The movie gets one star because of what Kim did to get her Oscar, and that's generous. She knows she didn't deserve it. The Oscar judges knew it. And most of all, the public knows. It destroyed my interest in Oscars. I put Oscars in lowercase because that's all they deserve. <sighs> wow. Boom. Wow. Yeah, he dropped the mic on that. <laughs> Seriously. Oscars in lowercase. That's a violation of the social contract. That is that he he is uh, he really threw down there. He threw down. That's what he did. Mm-hmm. Threw down in Lubu. <laughs> uh, mine is another one star. Mm. Titled, "Wow, the '90s sucked." If you have any idea what the hell is going on in this movie, kudos to you. Too many characters. The end. <laughs> Let me put on another Adam Sandler movie. There yeah. we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's out of Chicago. Oh, man. Oh, Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> it was nice. We did that like at the same time. That was awesome. We were like bookends. <laughs> I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> 